We're going to continue, as Matt said, looking at, jo- at Joshua. I'm in Judges here. Uh, Joshua chapter 4. As we began last week, we started talking about the, the fact that God desires to etch His work into our hearts by way of reminders and memorials. Because let's face it, our physical memories are not alone a problem. Now many of us do have problems with our physical memories, um, but that's not alone the problem. See, we also struggle with our heart or spiritual memories. And in chapter 4 of Joshua, God instructs the children of Israel to not just remember what He has done with their minds, but He desires them to remember with their hearts. And part of this remembering with their hearts who God is and what He has done, He commands them to construct a tangible memorial that will testify to this specific act that God has done for generations to come. And I've entitled this chapter, I've entitled this uh, two-part sermon looking at chapter 4, Do This in Remembrance. Because from this text, we see so many parallels for how we are to live in remembrance of God's mighty work in our lives. The focal point of God's working in our life is our salvation and from that salvation all else flows are we living in remembrance daily concerning what god has done today we're going to continue to look at at three these three aspects of god's call for israel to remember And how this should play out in our individual lives and our lives, our corporate lives as a church. Last week we looked at this, the first aspect of remembering the call that God gives Joshua and the Israelites in the first ten verses to remember. And if you, uh, just real briefly, if you remember from last week, verses one to three, we saw that this call to remembrance was to be a tangible expression of remembrance. They were to take 12 stones and they were to take them from the Jordan River to the camp. Not only was this a tangible expression of remembrance, that that when they saw these stones, they were reminded of God's character, God's faithfulness, what God did. But this would also be a corporate expression of worship. Verses 4 to 6, we saw how God delivered all the people through the waters. And we saw at the end of verse 6 and verse 7 that this call to remember, it was to be a confessional expression of remembrance. That as the, the next generations would see this memorial, they would ask their Parents, what do these stones mean? You see, this memorial was to teach something. 
And then we closed last week looking at how this call to remember was to be an obedient expression of remembrance. Verses 8 to 10, we saw how Joshua obeyed, the priests obeyed, the people obeyed. Memorials are meant to serve a higher purpose than just having a memory of something. It is to impact our lives. This morning, we're going to continue looking at the second and third aspect of what it means to live in remembrance. And the key, once again, to this entire series is that a conquering faith is a faith in Christ, and we will not have a conquering faith unless we are living a life in recognition of what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to continue this morning looking at the second aspect of God's working here, that this was, def- this was an act worth remembering. And then we're going to close this morning by looking at the importance of remembering. So let's pray together. Lord, I pray for our time together. Lord, that You would teach, that You would instruct. Lord, that You would open our eyes. Father, I pray for the individual here today Lord, that has never taken that first step and Lord, has turned from their sin and looked to You for salvation. Would today be that day? Father, I pray for the Christian that has been a Christian, whether it's a couple months, whether it's a year, five years, or many, many, many decades of years. And Lord, life has been filled with thinking of self. Life has been filled with thinking of the next task that needs to get done. Life has been been all about agendas and tasks and money or whatever it is. Lord, would you get a hold of that heart? Lord, would you show them, would you show us, would you show me what true life really is? Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This was, without a doubt, an act worth remembering. I mean, God had just parted the Jordan River. He had caused the waters to cease to flow. I want you to read with me the end of verse 10 to verse 13. It says, The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them, about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. Why was this an act worth remembering? I think that these verses show us that this was a comprehensive act of God. This comprehensive act of God was in keeping with God's care and provision for His people. 
God doesn't sometimes care for His people and then other times not. God is 100% consistent. You're not 100% consistent, whether it's in your marriage or in your parenting or in your friendships or at work, and neither am I. But God is 100% consistent. And we see at the beginning of verse, at the end of verse 10 there, it says, the people passed over in haste. Now you can imagine as the people are passing over, This is, remember, the next generation of Israelites. This is not, as we'll see at the end of our passage, the first generation of Israelites that passed through the Red Sea. This is a new generation. They had never been through the waters before except for Joshua and Caleb. So in one way, I can can imagine why they're passing through in haste. Because man, you know, I would be trusting God, but... You know, it sure would be nice once I'm past seeing the waters on the sides and uh, I get to the other side. But there's a greater reason why there is this description the, uh, that the people passed over in haste other than the people were simply in a hurry. You see, what uh, Joshua is wanting us to remember by saying it this way, using the word haste, is to remind us that this is not the first time God has miraculously provided for His people. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 33, when God is sending the people out of Egypt, after that final plague, it says in verse 33 of chapter 12 in Exodus, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So you see, this new act of God, which parallels this other act of God of passing through the Red Sea, it is described, this kind of second Exodus event, in the same terms and details as what God has done before. You see, God is a God of provision and care 100% of the time. We don't have to think, okay, God was faithful to me yesterday, but will God be faithful to me tomorrow? We don't have to think, okay, I know that God works all things according to His plans and purposes and my ways are not His ways and, and, and I can't understand God's ways and plans and, and looking back, yes, I can see God's faithfulness, but again, I'm up, I'm up in, a, in a point, a stage of my life, a situation in my life where once again, I do not understand. Will God be faithful to me this time? God is 100% consistent. God is doing for this second generation what He did for the first. And here we see purposeful language that is pointing out the parallels between Israel leaving Egypt and going through the Red Sea and now Israel leaving the wilderness and going through the Jordan River. 
But also in this comprehensive act of God, not only is, is this act of God in keeping with God's provision and care, but it's in keeping with the, tri- the tribe's commitment. In verse 12, uh, it highlights these two and a half tribes, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh. It highlights these two and a half tribes that they passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. Why does it highlight these two and a half tribes when earlier in chapter 4 it says all of the twelve tribes went through the Jordan? Well, it's highlighting these two and a half tribes because they are keeping their commitment to go with the rest of their brothers to war. Now, why would they not? Well, if you remember in Numbers 32, the Israelites had conquered, um, had conquered, I think I'm getting my M's mixed up, the Midianites or the Moabites, I think it's the Midianites, and had conquered land on the other side of Jordan, the side that they were already on. And those two and a half tribes said, this land is really good for us. Can we just settle here? And Moses' first response is, well, if you settle here, you're not going to want to go with your brothers and fight. And we've already experienced the results of people not wanting to go and fight. 40 years of wandering. And the people said, no, we make a commitment that we will go, we will fulfill our tasks, and then we will come back to our land. You read of the, these two and a half tribes in, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. These tribes are following through on their commitments. God is at work. The people are in step with the work of God. Isn't that a difficulty for us so many times? To be in step with what God is doing, what He desires to do? Many times it's like, okay God, I know you're calling me down this path, but I think I'm going to hang out over here a little bit longer. But we also see in verse 13, this is in keeping with the nation's calling. Verse 13 says, There was about 40,000 ready for war that passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. Slowly we are getting to the conquest. You remember, it's not until we get through the first five chapters of Joshua that we even get to the conquest of the land of Canaan. Why? Because God has important heart work for the people of Israel. But now 40,000 soldiers are passing through the river. And lest we think that it is up to these 40,000 people to conquer the promised land, we read that they passed over before the Lord for battle. You see, folks, this is the Lord's battle. They would pass before Him before they ever pass before a single Canaanite. The Lord is the warrior that will fight for His people. That doesn't mean that the children of Israel did nothing. What it means is that it was the Lord 
who was going before them. Folks, in our lives, it is the same exact thing. As we sing kind of the theme song to this series, um, uh, that uh, the, the battle has already been won. We may not know exactly what God is doing in each and every detail, but we know the battle has been won, as the song says. The Lord has gone before us. And while we as Christ's church are a spiritual army for Him and we desire to serve Him and do a work for Him, we are not the ones accomplishing anything. And brother, sister, if you're sitting here in your seat today and you feel the weight and the pressure of the world on your shoulders... You feel the weight and the pressure of whatever situation is running through your mind right now. Maybe you're living as if the battle is yours. Maybe you need to remind yourself today that God will have certain things that He calls you to do, but it is not up to you. The end result is not dependent on you. This battle would be the Lord's. And God is showing the people of Israel this before they ever have to use that sword in this comprehensive act. But this was not only an act worth remembering because of the comprehensiveness of God's working But this was also a confirming act. And we see this in verse 14. It says here, On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Now, you may be saying, well, Pastor Adam, if, you know, if you're looking at this carefully, you could say, well, Pastor Adam, the battle is the Lord's. Well, Pastor Adam, the people are going before the Lord ready for battle. Why the very next verse does it say, that day the Lord exalted Joshua? It is not because Joshua is the people's Savior, but it is because God always uses people. God is going to have specific people at specific places for specific times. And we see here that God's actions exalted Joshua. In fact, that's exactly what God said would happen. In chapter 3 and verse 7, it's, uh, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. It was God's actions that exalted Joshua. It was not Joshua trying to stick out his chest and boast of who he thought he was. It was God's actions. It says, Joshua is the man for this hour to lead you 
as he faithfully follows me. And we see that not only is God's actions exalting Joshua, but, but, but a, a, another point here is that God always has the right people for the right time. Notice that the text says, they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. So Moses was once the leader for the children of Israel. He was the mediator between, uh, between God and Israel. And now we see, as we talked about in chapter 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. This was a time of transition. This was a scary time. But now, God has exalted Joshua. Isn't it easy to think of people? Sometimes as a pastor, you, 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 you attend a lot, of, a lot of funerals and you attend a lot of... Uh, um, uh, different, different activities where people are remembering or looking back. I have never yet, well, maybe once, uh, but I, uh, I, I normally do not hear someone get up and give like, this guy was a rotten person. This lady, a scoundrel. <laughs> it's usually like the good, the good times and the good things. And, and, and looking back, um, probably therapeutically, in, in life situations, don't you look back at different events in your life and you kind of think of the good times and you don't really remember a lot of the bad situations? Are, are, now, if things get really bad, yeah, that, that is what we remember, so I'm not doing across the, a board thing. But a lot of times we, we, we look back and we remember the good things and forget some of the bad. And when we look back in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, man, we see the people grumbling against Moses all the time. But man, the people during this transitionary period would be, oh, Moses is dead. But it was never really about Moses, was it? It was about God. God is the leader. Not a man. In fact, do you know during the crossing of the Red Sea, the same thing happened to Moses that God did for Joshua? In Exodus 14, verse 31, it says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And they're talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. You see, the people had every temptation to be, um, to be leery of Moses just as they did for Joshua. But it wasn't these two guys that were an end in and of themselves. It was God who was at work. Let us in our lives, let us in our church, never look backwards as some type of golden utopia because God is a God that is always moving forwards. And God has His people, He has His ministries, He has His plans and His place for the present, not the past. 
This was a confirming act that God was doing. But I want to give you a third and final C here uh, to complete the alliteration under this point. (laughs) This was an act worth remembering because it was a colossal act. It was huge. I know, I had to stretch a little for that one. It was colossal. It was big. In verse 15, the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come out out of the Jordan. We see this colossal act The end of it, really, as the people have now all passed on. We're going to read about that in verse 19. And then we see Joshua is given a command. The people are all rescued. They all go through. God has made a way into the promised land when there was no way. The waters were overflowing. God makes a way. And then God says, all right, now is the time. Tell the priests that they can leave. You see, Joshua gives this at the Lord's command at exactly the right timing. There wasn't a straggler. There wasn't anybody you know, with a limp that was like, hold on, Joshua, you missed me. There, there, there weren't any babies left behind that were, were in danger of getting drowned. Yeah. John Folkrod wasn't back there saying, hey, I'm still recovering. No, just kidding. <laughs> At the right time, God gives Joshua the command. Folks, God always works at exactly the right timing. I found in my life that at least at the time, I seldom think that God works at the right timing. Looking back, it's easier to say, wow, God did that at just the right timing, but not in the present. But we know from Scripture, and I would dare say from even our own personal experience, that God works at exactly the right timing. Not only that, Not only do we see Joshua's command, but then we see the waters suddenly return in verses 17 and 18. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. What we see being described here is the opposite of what we read of in chapter 3 in verses 15 and 16. There, if we were to rewind the story and everybody starts moving backwards, you see the priest going in the river. Verse 15 of chapter 3 says, As soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, 
Then it says the Jordan flows over all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the sea of the the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. We see from beginning to end God's working. And as these waters now come back together at the end of verse 18, says that they overflowed all its banks just as before. Why is that recorded? To highlight the miracle and the impassibility of these waters. You see, what God can do, no man can do. Joshua is not the hero of this day. It is God Almighty. And we know that what this passage is ultimately pointing us to is the greater Joshua. The greater Joshua who is not simply Joshua, but is also the ark of the Lord, the very presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us, who is going before us, providing a way for us into the promised land of the new heaven and new earth. As he himself is the mighty warrior. He's the greater Joshua. He is God's presence with us. He is all of these things into one person. That is where our confidence, our conquering faith lies. But as we begin to close things down this morning, I want to look at a final point regarding this remembrance. Not only the command to remember and the act of remembering, but the importance of remembering. And in verses 19 to 20, I think we see the importance of remembering for daily life. Every day of life, those exciting days, those boring days, those happy days, those sad days, Every day of life. In verse 19, the text says, The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. You may say, oh boy, that's a descriptive verse. Gives the exact day. And I want to draw out a few truths here. Number one, God is actively involved in the rhythms of our lives, of your life, of my life. He's actively involved in the rhythms of our lives. When the people come out of the Jordan River, it says this was on the tenth day of the first month. It's not incidental, again, just like when Joshua uses the word haste. It's not incidental that Joshua is being so specific here. You see, according to Exodus 12 and verse 3, this was the exact day that God commanded the people to take a lamb on this day and to keep it until the 14th day of this month. 
Because Israel was going to be celebrating the very first Passover when God would send the angel into Egypt to kill the firstborn. In fact, in Exodus 12, the reason that this is now the first month is not because it was the first month of the year that the Israelites were already living in. God said, this is so important as I am calling you out of Egypt to be my covenant people. We're marking a new calendar. This month is now the first of months for you as my people. And their whole calendar got changed. And folks, Joshua is now pointing out that it is on this very day, not coincidentally, this very day where Israel was to begin preparing for the Passover, that God is bringing them into the promised land. And folks, I think what this can teach us is that God is and desires to be actively involved in the rhythms of our lives. Can I ask you, are you including Him in the rhythms of your life? Now mark it down, God is involved, whether we are including Him or not, God's actions are not dependent upon us, but I will say that our experience relationally of God, our experience of His blessings and His, the, the understanding and the knowledge of His working in our lives, that is a reflection, our understanding of how much we're including Him. If the very calendar for Israel was changed based on the working of God, this shows that every day belongs to the Lord. It's not just a Sunday thing. Secondly, God gives us daily consistent reminders of His working in our lives. Verse 20 continues, And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. You see, the, the, uh, the men, the twelve leaders of, his, uh, of each tribe, they took a stone out, and that was to be a consistent reminder of what God did. And folks, there are many times when God's work in our lives that it is evident around us. I mean, if we look hard enough, the very fact that, that you're sitting here, breathing, sitting, you have clothes on, none of you look like you're starving to death. Man, that's an evidence of God's work. If we look, God's work is evident in our lives around us. I would maybe, I would, I would probably say, looking at my own life, and I would venture to say at your life, that our memorializing God's working in our lives may be lacking. 
But God is at work in our lives and His work is evidence. But there are some events in our lives that will be more pronounced than others, right? I mean, who, who of us does not go through the, the dry valleys, through the deserts, the wilderness, where it's like, wow, I really felt close to God here, but here I, it just seems like God's silent. What's happening? And we never determine God's working according to our, our own understanding or our own conceptions because God is not a God after our own making. So we walk by greater faith in those dry times. But there are times that God is going to work in, in more pronounced ways in our lives than others. And that is why we need to cling to God's faithfulness and how He has worked in the past. I really like what, what this one individual, D.R. Davis, says. He says, If Yahweh so insists that Israel remember this day, it implies that this event was unique and that Yahweh does not usually work with such visibly raw power. If Yahweh did something of this magnitude, talking about the crossing, the parting of the Jordan, every fifth Wednesday or so, why should Israel need to remember Jordan Day? Apparently, this sort of miracle will be infrequent. Yahweh's standard method of retaining His people's fidelity or faithfulness is not by frequent and dazzling displays of power, but by faithful witness and teaching of those particular acts in which he had already demonstrated his care for his own. In other words, faithfulness to God is clinging, not trying to grab. It's being in submission to God and seeing his work and clinging to God's work because God's works are evidence of His character, and it is not always looking for the next thing, the next sign. In youth group, I'm scheduled to speak in youth group coming up uh, this Wednesday, and in, in John, what happens? Jesus feeds 5,000. So what do the people do? They idolize the bread. And Jesus says, I know you want to make me king because you ate the bread, not because of who I am. And man, even as believers, aren't we tempted to that thinking? The importance of remembering is evidenced in our daily lives. Are we putting God first? Are we making conscious effort to remember His works? Whether that's writing them in a journal, whether that's you know, talk, talking to a friend, not just about the prayer requests, but about the answers. Whatever that looks like, but secondly and lastly, this passage teaches us discipleship. We've talked about this a little last week, but here we see the ultimate expression of the importance of these memorials it says and he said to the people of israel speaking of joshua when your children ask their fathers in times to come 
What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Mark it down, people of Israel. It will come. It doesn't say if your children ask their fathers. It says when your children ask their fathers. You see, the first thing we need to realize with discipleship, according to this text, is that God will provide discipleship opportunities. He will. If we're simply aware, keep our eyes open, and are prayerfully attentive, God will provide discipleship opportunities. Definitely going to do that if you have children. Man, if you're a part of a local church and you are connecting the way that, that you're called to connect as a follower of Jesus, as Scripture describes, you're going to have discipleship opportunities. It's not if, it's when. When your children ask their fathers. What do these stones mean? Now, if I cross through the waters, man, that would be a big deal to me because I experientially did it. And it may be difficult for me to not realize the fact, hey, my children weren't around when that happened. But that doesn't make it any less of a significant event. But sometimes I think as, if you're an adult here, you're a parent here, a grandparent, it's easy to think, why don't my children, why don't the, the people in my Sunday school class, why don't my grandchildren, why don't whoever it is that I'm working with, why aren't they understanding the things of God the way I think they should? Maybe it's because they simply don't know the things that you know yet. God wants you to be able to deliver those things and be the vehicle of those truths. God will provide discipleship opportunities. The answer is, Israel passed over, verse 22, this Jordan on dry ground. The beauty of memorials is that, as we talked about last week, that not only are we creative with how we remember God's working in our lives, some people journal prayers, some people journal answers to prayer, some people just journal uh, God's activity in their lives, some people, uh, whatever it is, you fill in the blanks, but God has also corporately given us memorials. In the life of the church, we think of baptism in the Lord's Supper. If you're in the fourth through sixth grade class today, Miss Rachel, uh, the last couple weeks, has been talking about baptism. And this morning, we're going to talk about the importance of the Lord's Supper and what it is we're doing. Those are two fundamental and crucial memorials, remembrances to God's working in our lives, our deliverance from slavery not to Egypt, but to sin. God gives us as parents even opportunities of discipleship 
as we gather together as the body and as we see an individual immersed in the water, as we partake of the Lord's Supper together as a church family, these themselves are discipleship opportunities. As one person mentions, the pattern of remembering carries over for the church. We continue to remember the utterly unique act of our Redeemer in the Lord's Supper. Even our children whisper to us as we take the elements, what does that mean? What is that? What are you doing? And even there, we can whisper our brief witness back to them. Why this remembrance? Lest we begin to regard the cross as a piece of furniture rather than the throne of the shepherd who soaked up the wrath of God for the sins of his flock. You see, folks, what happened to the children of Israel? Those stones simply became that. Stones. Well, weren't they always just stones? Yes. But the significance of what they represented was because there was a heart for God. And folks, in our lives, even fundamental things in the life of our church, like baptism, the Lord's Supper, they can become so commonplace that it becomes about us. It becomes about our thoughts, not about Jesus. Spending time in God's Word, that daily memorial that we must be immersed in God's Word to know His heart, to know truth in the midst of a world of error. That, that Bible can become so second place that it just sits on the shelf, an empty memorial. And you know what happens to our families? You know what can happen to our church? The same thing that happened to the children of Israel. As the generations progressed, they continually forgot the Lord. Through memorials, God provides discipleship opportunities and God reveals Himself to each generation. My confidence... And God reaching my children is not that, well, I'm a pastor and I'm around a lot of churchy stuff. So that's my confidence that my kids will live for God. No, my confidence is, God, would you use me to be instrumental in their life? But it's ultimately up to you because I know that your heart is for every generation. And verse 23 says this, The Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up for us until we passed over. Here we see Joshua talking as the older generation. Joshua tells the, the, the people, the adults, he says, you need to teach the children this because God did this for you. This crossing of the Jordan, God did for you just like He did for my generation with the crossing of the Red Sea. And God is going to continue to be faithful, but we must disciple. 
God reveals Himself to each generation. Why? Because verse 24 shows us that God desires to be known. Verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God desires not just the Israelites to know the Lord, He desires all the earth to know the hand of the Lord. So let us be faithful in our declaration. Let us be faithful in our own hearts to say, God, I want to live in light of You, not in light of my plans, my agendas, my responsibilities. Lord, all of those fall under the category of living for You. A faith that conquers is a faith in Christ. Let's pray.